The grass withers and its flower fades, <clears throat> but the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you by God's help and will be preached. Please be seated. <clears throat> you know, it's very seldom that we get anything uh, <clears throat> in the mail that is for a personal letter. Every once in a while, as a, your pastor, I receive a letter from from somebody, but it's usually from a man inside a, a prison. I, that's, that's the only handwritten correspondence I seem to get anymore. They can't use email. <clears throat> and so they write by hand. But, you know, maybe there was a time where in your life where you would receive a letter. <clears throat> Depending on who it was from, you were very, very eager to read it. <clears throat> I remember when I first moved from home, how letters... Uh, to, to me in, in Kentucky, as a single man all alone, they, they, they were very meaningful to me. I kept those. Now, this letter <clears throat> from Paul uh, is an exceedingly important letter to the churches of the Galatian region. <clears throat> uh, it bears uh, a very, very important message, a message of hope, but also a message of correction. And um, the tone of the letter right away sets off the importance of it. You know, you can see in a personal letter right away, I think, if uh, <clears throat> the letter contains good news or bad news. You quickly scan it. You hope it's, everything's fine with your parents. You hope everything's fine at home. Paul gets to the point, but before he starts addressing pastoral concerns. He wants them to know for sure that he's addressing them as a Christian church, as those who had received the gospel, and as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom. An apostle speaks in ex officio. He will speak from his office. And what he says in this letter is more important than any papal nuncio could ever be written, any papal bull, any document or decree of any council uh, or any uh, type of, of treaties that have been signed. Because this pertains not to merely the affairs of this world and the day-to-day -day life of those people there in the Galatian region, but to their everlasting happiness or the, to their everlasting shame uh, and loss. Every word is measured here. <clears throat> but the words that he announces first are very, very pleasant words indeed. They are words that should <clears throat> never be taken for granted. Now, providentially, the microphone wasn't working right, right this morning, so you missed it. Those of you in the back may have missed the greeting, grace and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I hope you missed it. I, I, hope, I hope it bothered you. I hope you said, well, maybe he'll say it again. I decided to say it during the sermon. That way you'll remember better the day that I, I couldn't say grace and peace and I made it up for you later in the sermon because it's important. The announcement of grace and peace is not a formality. And these commentaries are treated as just, you know, a, a nicety uh, between uh, Paul and, and his beloved friends over here miss the point widely. The point is this, <clears throat> that God announces and dispenses 
his grace of peace to all churches who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father is glorified by Christ establishing peace in his church. I'll say it again. The teaching is that God announces, it's, an, it's, it's a proclamation. God announces and dispenses grace and peace. He announces his grace and his peace to all churches who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father is glorified by Christ establishing peace in his churches. We'll see this point, <coughs> the main point in three sub-points. Sermon point number one, Christ's church enjoys grace and peace under the gospel ministry. That's what a church enjoys. The church is part of the visible kingdom of God on earth. And Paul salutes the churches of Galatia with this greeting. Grace and peace. The greeting is not a formality. It certainly is not merely uh, customary. The greeting is apostolic. That is to say, <clears throat> it is a, a greeting from one who is called to God to learn from Christ and then to relay the message of the head of the church and sent back to the various churches and to the various uh, Christians that are assembled in the churches. So that's what I mean by apostolic. <clears throat> it's given by one who is called and sent. The apostolic means that it, it comes as an official salutation from an ambassador, a kingdom ambassador. I don't know if you've met, uh, if you've ever been to uh, <clears throat> Washington, D.C., uh, and there are, there's a street there that uh, is dubbed in the, in the neighborhood em uh, Embassy Row. All the various embassies of the various nations are there. They take pride, I think, I think they should, in keeping their properties nice, and they've got beautiful landscaping, and the, the buildings are, are, are well-kept. And it, honestly, the, the, the nations, the various nations represented there on Embassy Row in Washington, D.C., uh, bear a dignity. Why? They represent their people. But uh, the apostle represents Christ. He represents Christ officially. And uh, there is a dignity to his office. And so we should hear what he has to say. Grace and peace really summarizes the two great benefits of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, Apostles and Paul, the gospel preachers, they want to get the gospel out fast. They want to, they want to get the gospel out front and forward. The, 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 the quicker and the plainer that the gospel uh, is preached and the benefits of the gospel, the better, because it is good news. <clears throat> what is grace? <clears throat> well, grace is the pleasure of God. Grace is, grace is the favor of God. Grace is the power, the redemptive power of God. And uh, grace uh, cancels out disgrace, shame, and, and sin, all that is displeasing to God. Grace is announced a full and free grace to all who believe, who all uh, who come under the, the call of the gospel and the apostolic uh, benedictions for them. Peace, the fruit of the, of the resident spirit is, is subjective, but it, it is also the objective state of all who are reconciled to God. In other words, whether you feel peace in the church or in your soul, we, we pray that you do. Uh, the, the Spirit is there to help you 
uh, Christ in every way is, 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 is teaching you the ways of peace, as we read from Romans, uh, the reading from Romans 3. Uh, instead of the wicked, the, the way of peace they have not known. And the wicked find any number of ways to, to arrive at peace. They, they, they like to forget their woes by indulging in pleasures and sensualities and drinking. They forget themselves. Some escape altogether through drugs. They're always on vacation. They need to be People are always needed to be stimulated because they are not peaceful. They can't, they can't sit before God. They can't stand before God and enjoy God. And everywhere you go, there's music playing. There's noise in the background of every restaurant. It seems like you can never have a moment's peace in this world. But God calls us to peace because he has reconciled us to himself through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled. God is at peace with his people. God is not your enemy. He is not at war with you. If there's any lack of peace, it's not by God's doing if you're a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit is in the church. Righteousness, of course, we're called to be righteous. The kingdom of God is one of righteousness and joy, peace, and righteousness is only sown in peace. A person who is not at peace, it will not be righteous. A person who is not experiencing with joy, who can come into the Lord's presence with thanksgiving and praise, as we're invited to do in Psalm 100, this person is not ready to grow in righteousness because righteousness is sown in peace. First of all, in the estate of peace, as God has uh, declared our debts canceled in Christ and our righteousness established in Christ, and we have peace with God, he's perfectly uh, uh, free to embrace us not begrudgingly, uh, but uh, very, uh, very freely as, as our Father. If there's no peace with God, there really is no pleasing God. It, it, it pertains to God to first be pleased with you before you can be pleasing with God or pleasing to God. But God is pleased with you when you are in Christ, when Christ is representing you before the Heavenly Father in heaven. And by faith, you have union with Christ, and that's exactly what you are. You are represented by Christ, your elder brother, and he's your head if you're in his church. But there's no peace with God, and then there is no pleasing God. And uh, if there's no pleasing uh, God and, and uh, there's no peace with you, then you're not going to be at peace with your Christian brothers. You're not going to be pleasing anybody. You're not going to be able to, to work righteously and do justly and, uh, and in, even in, in yourself, your own, your own mind. Your psyche is at war. Your mind is at war. And so you're not at peace as, as either. But those who love God love peace. And the salutation, grace and peace, wow, we, we should never tire of hearing it because we really do desire peace. The terms of grace and peace are both objective and subjective. Objective means God is truly, despite anything what you do or we do, God is truly and perfectly reconciled to all who receive Christ, his son. God is reconciled because of the offering of Christ. His blood atones for sin, and his righteousness and obedience avail for righteousness. Subjectively, the, the believer then begins to experience peace. 
and his conscience to some measure. Never completely in this life, never. Because as all things in this life, it's tainted. we're tainted by sin. There's, a, there's, a, uh, there's an irreconcilable war, says our standards, with our flesh. And so that upsets our peace. And we're distracted by many, many things, even at worship. We're distracted. Uh, but to, a, to the degree that we experience peace, this is, a, is, a, this is a, a, a precious gift to us. This is by the powerful cleansing of the blood of Christ. As the blood of Christ is applied to the, uh, by the Spirit, that is to say, by the blood of Christ, but what that means is by the life of Christ, the sap that is, that is in that vine that we are uh, in union with, when that is ours, then there is a cleansing of the conscience. And it's a real thing. And uh, I hope all of you know what that is. Uh, I think uh, you know, several times after prayer meetings, uh, we spend half an hour, 40 minutes in prayer. Uh, often I'll, I'll quit. Well, you know, coming to prayer meeting is like taking a shower. It's so refreshing. I feel clean. It's, it's wonderful to draw near to God with other brothers and sisters and just feel refreshed. Like I got some dirt off of me, you know? You should know experientially the nearness of God and his peace. Increasing peace comes, of course, with increasing holiness. Uh, because the more Christ-like we are, the more we grow in every, every grace not necessarily in every gift, that peace is one of those things that is absolutely the, the fruit of the Spirit, the very, very love, joy, peace. It's a primal, primal uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of grace then becomes evident. It's subjective, it's subjective in the believer. It's objectively declared in the gospel uh, that God has established peace by the blood of Christ. And yet it becomes objective again in the believer when he evinces uh, that peace uh, by his loving and joyful and peaceable service uh, to others in the church and out. So we have these two terms, grace and peace. They're both objective and subjective. Paul is then writing this letter out of a pastoral concern. Paul is not their pastor per se. But in the absence of a formal government uh, with overseers, uh, elders, and deacons, the apostle takes on himself uh, other than a universal call. As an apostle, the apostle has a universal call to all churches, the Gentile churches. But he, uh, he then must come as a pastor and address the pastoral issues. Paul is, a, is a, this is a, and this is a, a mighty, mighty pastoral issue. You know, where else can one hear of God's doctrines of grace, the mysterious doctrines of how God is reconciled? This is not an intuitive thing. The philosophers cannot attain to it. The wise men of the, of the old never attained to the mystery of the gospel. It must be proclaimed. And the stewards of that proclamation are the, are the stewards of the gospel. And that's why Paul takes this charge. Uh, you'll hear of this in the church. And that's why Paul is addressing the churches. I'm sure he could write to individuals, but, uh, and he has in the past. Uh, there's a letter to Philemon and all that. But Paul will write letters to individuals. But when it comes down to correcting 
a severe error, a dangerous, a dangerous, crippling and damning error in the church. Well, then Paul must address not even just one church, but the churches of Galatia. Where can one attend a church then? There, that is peaceful. Where can one go for a church where there's loving communion and joyful communion and peaceful communion? Not full of boasting, not full of envy, not, not full of strife, contending, not full of discord. In a church that knows objectively that God is at peace with that church and calls them saints and knows objectively that God excuse me, subjectively, the peace of God uh, sanctifying the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts, as Isaiah says, you will keep him in perfect peace who, uh, whose mind is and heart is stayed on me, on you, God. They're, 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 the peace of God is real. It is not, it is not conjecture. Uh, it can be experienced and felt. It is, it is experiential. Because Christ's church enjoys grace and peace under the gospel ministry. The second point, grace and peace come to you from God himself. Not from Paul. Now, Paul can proclaim the peace, but he's not going to make peace in the church. Uh, he cannot dispense peace. Paul is not a, a sacramental priest that is a conduit, as it were, a, a mediator between God and man. He's not that. That it was never the case. It's always been the Spirit of God that mediates every grace and gift. Even in the Old Testament, when it is typified by priests, the priests could do nothing. Bulls and goats could do nothing against sin. It was all pictured. It was all a picture of what Christ did, you see. So Paul is not the Paul is proclaiming grace and peace and not dispensing it. Nor can any leader in the church, especially not any false teachers, uh, and we're going to read about that uh, shortly in this, in this uh, important epistle. Grace and peace come to you from God himself, from God our Father, says Paul. He's the source of all things, the first person mentioned uh, in the Trinity, the font of every blessing and every good thing, and as a father, especially to his own adopted children, the seed or the offspring of Christ. Christ has given us birth in his spirit. We are born again of the spirit. We are regenerated by his spirit. And as such, we are children of God and fully acceptable. And we are uh, under the domain now of the curse of the law, but under a domain of grace and peace. So this announcement comes to you, this grace and peace comes to you from God himself, the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the word Lord Jesus Christ should be enough to let us know that he himself is God. But uh, <clears throat> in saying grace from God the Father and grace from Jesus Christ alone would, would show you that there's a parity there uh, in, in glory, in essence, and in power. And so it establishes at least two members of the Godhead already. The head of the church the Lord Jesus Christ offers us grace and peace. And since he is at the right hand of God, that is his exalted position after his death and burial, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he is at the right hand of God. What does it mean? But he is God's administrator. 
He is administrating all the decree and will of God. He is the one that is worthy to open the seven seals and the scroll uh, to obtain the final inheritance at the end of all things, the book of Revelation, okay? The head of the church, he is the one administrating all this, and he is the one that has called and sent Paul and spoken to him personally and appeared to him personally. And so he is here announcing his gifts and his graces to all those who know him. Lord means God. Jesus means Jehovah saves. And again, it tells us that as far as the covenant of grace is concerned, all the terms, all the terms by which a person may enjoy God in eternity and peacefully are all uh, completely uh, fulfilled by the mediator of that covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who represents us. That is to say, Jehovah saves, and he receives no help from any creature at all in saving. God himself receives glory from the beginning to the end. He is the perfect savior, no human merit, no other instrument need, uh, need to be, uh, need, needs uh, uh, to, be, uh, to be used here to affect the grace and the peace that is the Christians. Jesus means Jehovah saves. Christ means Messiah. That means anointed. You Christians mean, uh, have, have that name. Christians bear the name of Christ. It means that you are anointed. What does that mean you're anointed? That you're baptized? Well, yeah, yeah, you're baptized, yes. But you're anointed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, uh, the power of God. That's the presence of God within his church that has always been promised uh, even before uh, Israel possessed the land, uh, the Lord in Exodus makes it plain that they're going to succeed. They are going to dispossess the nations. They're going to succeed in their settlements. It's all of grace, and it's because God is with them. And certainly, we will succeed because Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One, is with us. He is Emmanuel, and He, the Anointed One, has all anointing of the prophet, the priest, and the king. As a prophet, He reveals his word uh, to his people by his, uh, his spirit, the will of God, for their safety, their salvation. As a priest, he's done with sin by sacrificing himself once. Uh, the altar was his own body, and, uh, and he sacrificed himself on our behalf for sin. And he, at the right hand, the administra administrator of the covenant of grace, he still continues to intercede for us. He's, that, he's right there. He's like, he's like the, uh, the Apostle John leaning into the bosom of his beloved Lord Jesus and, and whispering to him, Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's, as it were, in the bosom of the Father, and he's whispering, oh, Lord, regard this person. Have mercy and reconcile yourself to this person or forgive their sins. My sins have covered this one. This one's mine. I, I died for this one. That's how he intercedes. And as king, he, he's ruler of all things, but especially to the church. If you are assembled, uh, know for certain that as far as the assembly of God's people who bear his name, there may be many, many things going on in the world, many, many important things that will make the headlines tomorrow in the newspaper. As far as the redemptive history is concerned, this meeting is the most important thing in God's, in God's logbook. 
He has a special eye, and he rules particularly in the church. He is very zealous to keep his gospel pure. He's very zealous to keep his own redeemed. He will battle against anyone that gets in the way of a kingdom expansion. He will humiliate anybody who perverts his gospel. He will uh, correct you until you get it right to give him glory and not the glory of any man or any other creature. He is zealous. He who places his spirit in us wants the return, which is the fruit of that, of that spirit, the, the fruit of his vineyard, and he will have it. He is the king. He rules over all things, especially to the church, and he subdues all his and our enemies. And so, my friend, this is the status, this is the grace and the peace that comes to you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is formidable, he is formidable to keep the peace and the grace of his people, of his church. Now we need to give him thanks for that because what we do, what we need above all in the church, above all, is God's grace and God's peace. And, and in doing so, we will enjoy him. We will enjoy God in the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and one another. And that is worth everything. The last point of the sermon is as follows. Grace and peace in the church glorify God the Father. The glory of God is the grand purpose of your existence. You can have no greater purpose in life than to glorify God. I've said it before in Sunday schools. If you had one petition that the Lord, that you would want the Lord to answer, just one petition, call it a wish if you like, and the Lord will certainly honor it. What is that desire? Your desire is that the Lord would hallow his name, that he would glorify his name above all. All creatures have a glory, but it's a derivative glory. And as God makes himself glorious in our midst, every creature shines the brighter. Every creature enjoys life, peace, goodness. I think you get the picture. The glory of God and it's the grace and peace in the church that glorify him. Jesus the Son then submitted to uh, serving the Lord the Father and, he, and glorified God the Father, accomplishing salvation on our behalf. It was the great and glorious work of the Lord Jesus to glorify the Father in saving a people. The delivering of of, of people from their sins. The Lord Jesus in, in John 17 says to the Father in that prayer, he says, thine they were, and I have kept them. So before we knew Christ, God the Father knew us from eternity and has sanctified us in his holy will, and that is to say by his own decree, um, to make us his by the sending of the Lord Jesus. And that was his covenant of peace in sending Christ, that he should bear the sins of his people, and that uh, by doing so, he would uh, establish that peace uh, and reconcile uh, the, uh, an erring, wicked, and dead, a uh, people dead in sins and trespasses to himself, and granting them life, granting them regeneration, granting them grace and faith and repentance and every other good gift 
then they are in fellowship with God forever. Jesus submitted to God's, the Father's holy plan. He rescued us from this present evil age. Now, I don't know. I, I, I trust that I'm dealing with intelligent people. And, and, and even people here that, that may think that things are getting better and better, that things were far worse 100, 200 years ago. I'll, I'll grant you that if you like. But even so, this present age, the age after Adam's fall, is an evil age. The, day, the days are evil, says the Scripture. You can't, you can't fight that truth. The days are evil. And even when you ask your friends, how are things going? No, things are going fine. Things, things are going well. Yes, things are going surprisingly well, considering that the days are evil. And that we have any goodness and any, any, anything at all in this world to, re, to rejoice about is, is surely the goodness of God and his, his forbearance. But those of you who know the goodness of God subjectively and know his presence and his peace, well, things are going very well indeed. All right. Jesus then submitted to this plan of God and brought sinners into an estate of grace and peace. Through their faith, not through, not through the working of any sacrament in and of itself, not through any preaching of the word in and of itself, not by the hearing of the word of God striking your eardrums. No, but by the application of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit to a ransomed soul. And that's how peace uh, is, is one. A, a, a believer is a sinner that is brought from an estate of, of curse, of law, and damnation, and he's, and he's brought into an estate of grace and of glory. It's as, it's as simple as Israel under uh, Egypt in slavery and bondage and, and cruelty, suffering, and now they are delivered from that world and its cruel tyranny. They are brought to Jehovah, crossing the Red Sea, parting the Red Sea, and brought to Friendship with God, familiarity with his ways, his protection, his umbrage in the desert. He waters them, he feeds them, he cares for them. He gives them promises, and he will settle them in an inherited land forever. That's in a state of grace. That, that, that is a sovereign king now that has brought a people to himself and announces goodness. And that's exactly what we have here uh, in, in the churches in Galatia. You see here then that in this salutation, grace and peace to the church, how glorifying it is to God the Father because our salvation was the will of God the Father. And so our salvation, you've got to, you've got to understand that our salvation first glorifies God. Now, we are all tremendously <laughs> benefited by salvation. I, if you're here saying, well, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here because I want to glorify God. Yeah, I don't care if I'm saved, but, you know. Ah, come on, guys. Everybody here has a mighty concern with the safety of your own soul, your precious soul. Yeah, you have, you, you have a great interest in, in, in the salvation. But God has an even greater in, uh, interest in, in glorifying his own name in Christ by saving a people. He has a great interest in, and saving souls for his son, 
because he has promised his son a bride in the Christ and offspring in the children. Jesus will have an offspring, a seed, and they are even called his brothers in the, in, in, uh, in the scriptures. And this is God's will, and he's happy uh, to effect it. God has become our heavenly father through Jesus Christ. God is, in, in a sense, generically the father of all men because he gives life and breath to all things. But he's not familiar with every creature. He will even listen to prayers, you might say, uh, from a Hagar who's not, as far as we can see, uh, an heir with, with Isaac and, and the rest of the patriarchs, the sons of promise, Isaac. But God is good to all but not in the sense that he is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ and our father in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has become our heavenly father. He's familiar. We are welcome into his household. We are welcome into his living room. We are welcome into his embrace. God's will then and decree because he's God and he will glorify his name and he, was, he has honored his word and will honor it again this decree and this will to salvation cannot fail. But that doesn't mean that Paul won't write this letter. He most certainly will. Because God will, uh, he will succeed through means, without means, above means, against means. But Paul is moved in the spirit to write this letter. Thus our salvation then glorifies God the Father. That should make you happy. Because your first petition as you prayed in the Lord's prayer is, hallowed be your name. And this is being done. So you should be joyful that God is being glorified in the salvation of sinners. So grace and peace do not come by any other means as a source. The prime source is God. They don't come uh, from you fulfilling any, anything that God commands you. And this is going to be, this is central to, this is central to the message of the Galatian epistle. It certainly does not come through the Old Testament ceremonial law. And that's going to be, we're going to find out that we have detractors from the pure Christian religion who would Judaize the religion and introduce ceremonial elements such as circumcision and others. Other, there will be other things that they want to bring about uh, and to try to achieve uh, the New Testament administration under Christ in the same way that it was administered under Moses. And that's not going to be the case. They will try to uh, commence that with through circumcision, uh, but it's not limited to circumcision. All, all shadowy ordinances of the Old Testament become fruitless. They become unlawful. Why? Because the Spirit is no longer in that shadow and in that picture. He's no longer applying the graces of the mediator of the covenant of grace in that way. Now, you may think it, it offers some pleasure to you, the aesthetics of all the ceremony, the pageantry, the music, the smells and the bells, but it has nothing at all to do with the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing at all. In fact, it can be a, a distraction. It can be a sensual distraction and a deadly trap. And that's what Paul is avoiding here. Why? The shadowy is gone. Christ, the essence, has appeared. 
Now, mind you, I knew that and took, paid him a visit in the manger. Christ, the essence, outshines all other shadowy order. Christ is the sun. Everything else is long shadows from that sun, anticipating the sun. But now that the essence has come, the shadowy is no longer uh, necessary. And it's, it, why should you be, be, why be enamored with the outline of a, of a woman when you can marry her and kiss the bride? There's the difference. Not even the moral law is uh, a means of fulfilling God's will to you for salvation. And there's no purer decree uh, regarding holiness than, than the Ten Commandments and, and those things that can be derived necessarily from it. But that's not the means by which God is reconciled. Now, the, man, the law demands and even describes the holiness of God, and it describes what sin is so you don't go that way, and it binds you so that you necessarily seek the Savior because God's wrath is upon sin. But that is not the means whereby you will recover from sin, nor is that the reason behind your grace and peace that you have kept the law. And any attempt in keeping, keeping the law for attaining grace and peace, that's wrong-headed, dangerous, that falls short of the gospel, that falls short of the covenant of grace, that falls short of salvation. Now, let, me, let me get this straight. Hold on, guys. If you are a Christian and you are abiding by the law of God as from the hand of Christ, you're going to know peace. That's not what I'm saying. Because as a Christian, you knowing that Christ has redeemed you, that the matter of your condemnation because of sin is, is, is gone, that's a settled matter. And now you, you follow the moral law because you know it's pleasing to God. That's, that's what holiness looks like. And, and you, you've begun to hate sin in a, in a greater way than ever before. So you do follow the Ten Commandments, but not as the basis of your grace and your peace. It, it, your, 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 the heart that wants to obey God follows from the estate, a settled estate of grace and peace, an objective state of grace and peace. So grace and peace are impossible to experience in the church without the gospel. There's no amount of, uh, of activity, there's no amount of fellowship, there's no amount of sacraments, there's no amount of of, of sermonizing and preaching if the gospel does not shine very, very brightly in any church. And this is the problem in the church in Galatia. Not just one church, but a whole region of church has just gone the way of Balaam. They are already in partial apostasy and in jeopardy of hell. And it can happen so quickly. You know, this is not, we're not talking about church history on a late medieval period. You know, we've got some real. It can happen in one Sunday. If you don't hear the gospel right, if I or any other man doesn't preach the gospel right, rightly, it's an, it's a, it's an adverbs. Adverbs are disappearing from the English language. I'm sorry. I apologize. Apostasy from the gospel is an ongoing concern to all churches. 
It should be. It should have our attention. If we think it's impossible for this church to fall from grace, we're wrong. That's, that's, that's bad news. Now, let me, let me put the ballast back in the boat. Christ will have a church on earth. This prophet, this priest, this king is triumphant. He leads his elect gloriously. And so there will always be those who keep the pure word until the end. And Christ will have a harvest. Christ will have a people. But you need to be watchful. You need to, you need to, be, you need to be watchful. If, if the entire region of Galatia, Paul's first missionary endeavor, familiar with Paul to his face, having heard the apostolic word preached, been under excellent discipleship and tutelage, if these people can, can go astray, then we have to be careful. Uh, both, it's not and or, it's both, okay? Let's keep the tension. There's a tension here. I'm not saying that a, a true Christian can be damned. A true Christian will be saved. The matter is, what is a true Christian? A true Christian believes the pure gospel. A pure Christian experiences, knows that he is under in a, in a state of grace and peace, and he, to a degree, to a degree, although however imperfectly, experiences in this life. And so therefore, God is glorified through dispensing and establishing grace and peace in Christ's church. And that, this, is, this is not something selfish. We can crave this for our own selves, and that's fine. We ought, to, we ought to be craving a church that has grace and peace in it. But we ought to crave it more for the glory of God, because this is what his intense interest is. It's Christ's church. He wants this for his son, and he's declared it to be so in his son. Let me conclude this sermon. God announces and then dispenses his grace and his peace to all churches who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father is glorified by Christ establishing peace in his church. Christ is worshipped when you are a peacemaker in the church. When you set aside personal vendettas, slights to your name, when people have hurt you, when people desert you, when people cast all sorts of ill report about you. You seek the peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see God. Do you welcome then and rejoice in the proclamation of grace and peace? Did you miss it this morning? Did you wish, did you wish the microphone were on? Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you? I, first, first of all, you have to understand it doctrinally. You have to understand it academically, theologically. If you don't understand it theologically, you'll not. Well, the Lord can overrule much ignorance. But you ought to be experiencing the delight of the Lord, His grace and peace in your own conscience, in your own life, with your relationships at home, with your friendships, etc. Do you? Do you experience grace and peace in the church? Let's work on this. Well, it's, we've not perfected this. We will not perfect it until the Lord Jesus comes. And there's no reason to leave a church that has not perfected this. If anyone's looking for a perfect church, I suggest you don't join it because you'll ruin it as soon as you get it there.
Do you understand how experiencing God's grace and peace glorify God? Do you understand that this is the work of Christ? Do you understand that when Christ's work bears fruit, that the, the Father and the Son are, are glorified? And this is, this is your main interest in life. Do you see also that as God's creature, it benefits you in every way? That to fail this is, is the, well, that's what sin means, to, to, to miss the mark. And when missing this benefit hurts you. Sin, there can be no advantage to sin. There can be no advantage to quarreling or to slandering or, or, or to, you see, we all benefit by this grace and peace. And do you then, will you resolve, will you resolve by the grace of God to diligently strive to keep the peace by his grace, not, not by fleshly efforts, not by strength, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, will you promise to diligently strive with a discipline, with purpose, with attentiveness, with watchfulness to keep peace in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friends, he offers us himself in that. It's not just the teaching. Is that In the teaching, he gives us his mind and his spirit and his heart. So receive the Lord Jesus as the Son of God. He died for sins that we might be reconciled to God. Believe him and his gospel. He, 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 he rose from the dead for our justification by his own strength because he is the divine Son of God. Believe that he has power to save you from corruption. Believe that he has the power in his spirit for you to mortify, to put to death the deeds of the body. He is alive. He's a living Christ. And you and him are alive. So put to death all that ruins grace and peace. But know for sure that you have it. You have it in Christ. And now, my friends, you pray that the Lord show forth, show forth Christ in you, the hope of our glory. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is glorious. He is to be thanked forever for the great redemption and all benefits accruing. Give him glory and give him honor and praise him yet. Let's pray. Lord, only you could affect grace and peace in the fallen sons of man. We pray that the Lord Christ would be distinguished as he is proclaimed in his gospel. We pray, Lord, that all you have by your father by the father's decree given to Christ in your eternal decree would come to him and would show forth the fruits of this glorious calling in Christ be with us always lord you are our emmanuel lead us lord in your great victory and triumph over sin and the sting of death and uh, in righteousness we pray through jesus Let's offer God tribute with our tithes and offerings.